If you have a Bible nearby, let's turn together to Exodus chapter 20. Uh, we're going to flip the lights on for you a little bit. Um, as I said earlier, we're experimenting with some things. So There you go. There you are. Nice to see you. Exodus 20 is where we're going to get to eventually. Um, but the songs tonight and the sermon and everything, we try and, uh, and kind of... Uh, Help all these things sync up as much as possible. And uh, we're starting a new series, a new teaching series tonight um, on uh, the attributes of God. And uh, it's pretty amazing that, that we can, can even talk about this. You know, it's such a, such a timeless uh, question, you know, to, to really think like, okay, what is God like? You know, I mean, what, what's he like? Not just like who is he and what does he do, but like what's his personality like? What is what is he interested in? What is he? I mean, does he think? Does he feel? Does he uh, have an opinion? You know, and um, the Bible is very mysterious about some things, without a doubt. But uh, one of the great uh, messages that's communicated through the scriptures is is that God is knowable. You know, like we can know Him. Um, and we can not only know, know about him and know of him, but we can literally, like in a relational kind of way, know him. And the things we know about him help us in our effort to know him in a personal way. And then we, when we know him, then the things we know about him start to make sense. And it's kind of this, this uh, ongoing thing where we're just constantly learning about him. But all throughout the Bible, it's just very clear that, that God is, while he is mysterious... Uh, there are things that he has revealed to us about himself and what he's like, and his desire to know, uh, uh, to be known. He knows you. He knows me. Uh, he wants us to know him. And so, for the next six or seven weeks, we're gonna we're gonna look at, at what does Scripture reveal about God, uh, and like in those kind of ways, what's he like? What's what's his what what are his characteristics? What are his attributes? What does he bring to the table? What does it look like to really know him? And um, so we're going to talk about some kind of really big ideas that are not uh, not at all meant to be uh, unattainable. You know, I think that one of the th- the things that probably churches, um, especially in America, have have done, but it's kind of more broad than that, is sometimes taking these like theological concepts and ideas and uh, kind of. Treating some things as they're they're only for the you know the the pastors you know the the ones who went to seminary and studied these things you know like they're the experts on that and everybody else are just you're just the commoners you know and and sometimes it kind of creates this thing where uh, it kind of elevates people who have gone to seminary uh, as a, as someone who's gone to seminary believe me you should not elevate us. <laughs> I've sat in those classrooms and looked around and be like, oh my goodness, you know, what's going on here? Uh, the seminary is, is definitely a place of training and refinement and stuff like that, but our churches really should be seminaries as well. Um, there should be nothing that's, that's done at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary or uh, any other seminary that is kept only on that campus. 
Uh, it should be a matter of pastors bringing those back to the churches and, and teaching, like teaching those things and bringing that to the people so that really this is kind of a seminary in and of itself. So next couple of weeks, we'll, there'll be probably some big words that we'll use and some big concepts, but these things impact every single day of our lives. And uh, it's, these are very just helpful in our quest to know God and what He's like. And so tonight we're going we're gonna to begin with something that, that is going to uh, re- lay a foundation for the next couple of weeks. But, but it, it's infused into everything that we're going to talk about in, in, the, in the weeks ahead. And it's this idea that, that God is holy. Uh, holiness. That's like a, a word I've grown up hearing, grew up in church would sing songs about it, would read verses about it. Um, but uh, I think sometimes there's like this assumption that everybody knows what it means. And uh, that's definitely not the case. And certainly none of us understand the depths of what it means. Uh, so regardless of if you're hearing some of these things for the first time, or if you've heard it a lot, I think that for us to remain very teachable and humble and acknowledge the fact that we have a long way to go in our understanding of who God is and the fact that He is holy and what that means um, is very important. And so for the next few weeks, you'll hear this, this idea that He's holy, but tonight we're just going to focus on that one thing about Him. Uh, all throughout the Scriptures, we see that this is something that, that God uh, is described as. Sometimes He describes Himself that way, sometimes it's other people. Um, so you went to Exodus 20, but let's, we're going to throw a couple of these verses up on the screen. Uh, in Leviticus 11:44, God describes himself as holy. Um, for I am the Lord your God, consecrate yourselves therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. So this is God speaking, he's describing himself as holy. And then you should not defile yourselves with the swarming thing that crawls on the ground. We're not going to talk about that. That's kind of weird. But, uh, but, but this is God describing himself as being holy. And so uh, anytime God says, like, this is what I'm like, we should definitely pay attention to that. So he sets the understanding for us in uh, describing himself as being holy. Uh, Psalm 99, verse 9. This is where we see man ascribing God as holy. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain. For the Lord our God is holy. So God has said that he is holy. Here we, there we see man saying that he's holy. In Isaiah 6, uh, 1 through 3, uh, it says, in the, king, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. These are angels. Uh, each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So God has described himself as holy. Man describes God as holy. The angels uh, say that God is holy. Uh, Psalm 71, 22 uh, says this, I will also praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praises to you with the lyre, O holy one of Israel. Saying that Israel's God is holy. These are just four examples. We can we can go all through the Bible and see where God is saying that He's holy, and the man is saying that God is holy, and the angels are saying that God is holy, and the God of Israel is holy. There's this idea over and over and over again. So what in the world does it mean? It's pretty important if that's constantly what's being said. So we should never assume, one, that we know what it means, and two, that we understand the depths uh, of, of what He desires for us to know uh, in His holiness. Um, 
So in order to understand it, we're going to look at Exodus 20. We're going to look at the, what it says about the Sabbath day. Look at verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Okay, so God's holy, but he's, now he's saying the Sabbath day should be holy. How does that, how's that work? All right. Well, if you look back at verse 8, we see two really important things about holiness that are going to help us understand how God is holy by looking at how the Sabbath is holy. Um, there's a theologian, his name is Wayne Grudem, and uh, he, uh, he's written very, very helpful work. Uh, this is one of, the, one of the best things, I think, that I have taken away from what he has written. In his explanation of holiness, he said there's really two things that can sum up what it means for God to be holy. Uh, one is separation, and two is devotion. All right? So tonight's sermon will have two points. One is separation, two is devotion. We see it as an example in the Sabbath day helps us to understand God. So verse 8 Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. So the first point of separation, we see that the Sabbath day is separate from the other six days. Like it's literally to be set apart as different than the other six. So understanding the holiness of God is is helpful in the same kind of way that God is set apart and he's, he's just different than literally everything else, everywhere, forever. He's set apart just like the Sabbath day was set apart from the other days. Um, it says in verse 10, uh, the, seventh, the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son, your daughter, your servants. Um, no sort of work. So... Six days out of the week, you're working. Seventh day, that's set apart as a Sabbath, you don't work. It's set apart. So you, you do things on the Sabbath that you don't do the other six days. And the other six days, you do things that you don't do on the Sabbath. It's a completely different mindset. It's a, different, um, it's a complete shift out of the rhythms of the other six days, the things you focus on the other six days. There's a separation. This is a completely unique and separate day. And so God is a completely unique and set-apart being, person from us. In Jesus, he's set-apart. He's separate. So what's he separate from is really what it comes down to. What's the point of it in that, in holiness and him being set apart? Well, he's set apart from everything that is created, in one sense. So everything around us has, was made by him. So all the, like the pews that you're sitting on, they all come from trees that were created. You know, the, the glass of these beautiful windows, you know, 
was created. The sheetrock was created. The frame was created. The air conditioner, thank goodness, was created, right? All these things were made. All of us in this room, we were created. Outside this room, the trees and the the rocks and everything was created. At some point, it didn't exist, and then it came into existence. So all of creation would kind of be like the other six days of the week. God is set apart from all the rest of creation because he wasn't created. There wasn't a point when God didn't exist, and then all of a sudden he did exist. He's always existed. He's, he's eternal. He's, he's forever. It's kind of mind-blowing when you think about it. Like, you read the... First verse of Genesis, you know, it's like, in the beginning, you know, was God. It's like, okay, well, where was he, you know? Was he, like, sitting at his house? Like, well, no, it doesn't say that, because it was just him. It's like, was he in the air? Was he in space? Was he where? We don't know. We don't know, because everything was created. It's like, don't think about it too long. It'll just give you a headache. Like, it's... It's one of those things. So he's set apart. He wasn't created like you and I were created. He wasn't created like the other things were created. He's always existed. So he's completely other than everything else that we know. And that's kind of hard to fathom sometimes because we, we think we know a lot of stuff. And so right from the beginning, we have to acknowledge this, this idea that God being holy, he's unlike anything else that we can, can fathom or think of. We're not going to be able to fully come up with some analogy, you know, some perfect explanation that we're like, okay, I totally get holy. Okay, I completely understand it now. It is a mystery. He is set apart. He is other. And we can we can sometimes understand him better. And there's there are human qualities that he he shares with us and those kinds of things, but. There comes a point when we just have to suspend this idea that, that we can understand him and just say, you are, you are holy. There isn't another word that we can use. And for the angels to, to choose that word, and they say it three times, I think they're just being like, you're, you're other. You're just completely in a, a, another category. You're unlike anything else we can think of. You are set apart. You are holy, you know? It sums it up for them. And I think for us to continue to grow in that is very important. That he's separate. But not only is he separate from creation, he's, he's separate from the thing that broke every one of us and broke our world. He's separate from sin. So in the beginning of the Bible, we see God made everything and it was great. Adam and Eve come along and they choose, uh, they choose to know better than God. They make a decision. It's like, we, we think we know better than you. Uh, we think that um, we can be just like you and all this kind of stuff. They, they kind of lost sight of the fact that God is separate from them. They thought that it was, uh, he was, uh, it was attainable. They felt like God was holding out on them. You know, like there's this, this secret to this whole new world and that God was was uh, keeping it to himself, like depriving them of something. And so they made a choice uh, to go against what he said. And when they did that, they, they were separated from God. And so we read in the, in the, the Bible, to help, it, it really helps us understand uh, why the world looks the way that it does, because sin created this, uh, this kind of dissonance within ourselves. You know, Like our emotional 
state was kind of put in this weird, like we're always insecure and, or, or we're prideful, which is really just a form of insecurity. And so like within us, there's this weirdness there. And then we're pitted against each other. Um, you know, we're, um, there's just these tensions that exist and all this injustice surfaces. And so we're, we're messed up inside. We're messed up in our relationship with one another. We're separate from God. So we don't really know what's up from down. The, uh, all of creation was subjected to that, you know, so we have earthquakes and hurricanes and all these things, and um, there's just all this stuff, like, like that decision, that, that sin literally broke everything around us. You, we, we can't find anything that's a, an exception to that. It literally messed up everything around us, except for him, because he is other. Sin messed up the other six days worth of stuff. But he's set apart. So we could not escape the impact of sin. Uh, The oceans could not escape it. Cows could not escape it. But God, it didn't affect him in that way. Because he's not like us. He's set apart. He's holy. So... Here you and I are, we're trying to learn how to live in this new free life where, where we're learning how to love well and learning how to be faithful and learning patience and we're learning what His kingdom looks like and we're working all these things out. God has never had that struggle. It didn't affect His character the way it affected our character. It didn't affect Him internally the way it affects us internally. It didn't, it didn't mess with His mind the way it's messed with our minds. It didn't... It didn't Put um, the way it put us all against one another. It, it hasn't put him against himself. It impacted him, of course, to watch us have to deal with all that. But it, it didn't affect his character. It didn't affect his uh, his the unity within himself because he's set apart. So God is separate from us. He's other. And because sin has not impacted him, there's a perfection there that's there. There's a purity that's there. He's, he is absolutely holy. He's other. So separation, that's the first idea. The Sabbath was separate from the other six days. God, in these, these ways, and of course many more, Separate. Second point is that Grudem brings out is de- is devotion. We see if you look back at verse uh, verse ten. So, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. It's not a Sabbath to yourself. It's a Sabbath to the Lord. So God didn't build in a day off. You know, that's not what a Sabbath day is. It's not like, look, y'all work six days and take a day, just chill, you know, just do, just a me day, you know. That's not, that's not what this is. It's a Sabbath to the Lord. It's, it's not only set apart from the other six, but it's set apart with a different purpose than the other six. The other six days they, they worked and they did, they had these rhythms and these rhythms, but he says, no, on this day you're going to break those rhythms for me. You're going to rest, but you're going to rest for me. 
you're going to do things that are good for your soul on the Sabbath day, but not just because it's good for you, but primarily because it's for me, is worship, is a realignment. It is striking the tuning fork and kind of getting everything lined up. And this is not, a, this is not an old covenant commandment that we throw away. This is still supposed to be part of our lives. Um, but our devotions on a Sabbath day are... are they're just different than our devotions on the other days. And so for God, being holy, He's devoted to one thing, which is His, his own glory. That sounds strange to us. And the reason why it sounds strange to us is because sin has impacted us. So sin affected us, so our understanding of doing something, of God doing something for His glory, we can't really understand that, because to us that sounds really like, arrogant, you know. It's like, oh, he's, you know, he's just, oh, he's an egomaniac. Well, when we lose sight of the fact that he is separate, then yeah, it kind of looks like that because we're making him like us. But he's never been impacted by sin, so he literally cannot make a mistake. And him being devoted to his own glory, he's right in doing that. We couldn't do that in a way that's pure. He can't do that in a way that's impure. In Ezekiel, you don't need to turn to it, but in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 22, uh, he says this, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord our God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. This is God's not-so-subtle way of saying, like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to do some amazing things among you. And you're going to be blessed by that. But just know that it's not, it's not primarily for your sake. It's primarily for my name's sake. So God's agenda is His own glory. Because He is the worthy one. He's the deserving one. He's separate from everything else. And so He is devoted to His own glory. He's separate from creation. He's separate from sin. And in that separation... He has a central focus, which is to be God. And so he is holy in that. So the Sabbath day is set apart from the other days for a unique way to glorify God. So separation and devotion help us, I think, understand the the broad strokes of what it means for God to be holy. Now, the reason why this comes first in the series is because everything else that we will talk about in the next few weeks is, is permeated with holiness. So everything that we, anytime we talk about God being a certain way, holiness is, is a part of that. So you can go through the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. It's really holy love. Holy joy, holy peace, that's, it's, it's a part of everything that he is. And I remember when I, when I first went to work at Parkview Baptist, uh, I worked for a guy named Jim Wallace, and some of you guys know Jim Wallace. And he, uh, he was the minister of education, which means that he did all the small group ministry. He basically did everything that the preacher didn't do. And so, um, but he loved personality tests. One of his favorite things to do. 
When I first went to work there, I didn't understand that this was a, a thing, you know. And so he would be talking about someone, and he'd be like, we've got this new guy teaching Sunday school, and he, like, he's a pretty good like, golden retriever otter, and so uh, this and this and this. And he would like, keep going. And I'm like, he's a what? <laughs> or somebody would do something, and he'd be like, well, you see, you're saying that because you're, you're like 75% lying. You know that, right? And then they would look at him and be like, yeah, you're right, you're right. You know? And I was like, what does that even mean? And so it's one of those like Myers-Briggs type you know, personality things. And, and so when I first went to work there, he would always try to tell me what animal mix I was. And I don't remember what it was, but uh, he would tell me. And, but then like three weeks later, he would tell me again, and it would be different. And so, you know, one day he comes and he gives me the, like, the test, you know. He's like, take this. Okay, so I take it and he, like, grades it or whatever, whatever you do to it. And uh, he gives it back and he's like, he's like, take it again. And I was like, do you, are you wrong about my animal mix, you know, or whatever? And he's like, I'm never wrong. Take it again. So I took it again, and uh, I, don't, I really don't remember what, what I was, but it was the same thing the second time, and he got super irritated about it, uh, because he, cause whatever, whatever my mixture was, the scores were all, they were like pretty even, um, and I don't know why, and I think it's probably because I'm a moody person, so in that day, I was probably a golden retriever, lion, otter, beaver, whatever, uh, <laughs> And I really think if I took one once a week, they would all be like super different, right? But the idea behind those things is that our personalities tend, like we have tendencies to be strong in, in one kind of way and then maybe like weaker in another kind of way. And for me, I kind, of, I kind of fluctuate. But at no point am I ever like a complete mix of all personalities, like all the way to the max. Like that would, nobody's like that. When we talk about the attributes of God, God being separate from us, it's very important to realize that all these qualities, He's all of these in fullness all the time and always has been. So even you go through the fruit of the Spirit, like maybe, you know, maybe you look at those and maybe you're like, um, I'm, I'm pretty strong in, in joy, but I'm super, super weak in whatever faithfulness. That's what a lot of us would do. We would say, look at these nine things. Which one is like pretty natural for you and which one do you really have to work toward? But the fruit of the Spirit, just the terminology there, it's one fruit, has nine different qualities. God is all those things all the time. So God is completely holy in all the things we're going to talk about, constantly, all the time, always has been, always will be, forever. So there aren't times when he's like really loving, but he's not, he's not very gentle. There's not times when he's like really, really sovereign, um, but at the same time, like he's uh, kind of absent-minded, you know. Like he's all these things all the time. So he's holy constantly in every aspect of his character and can't be any other way forever. It's kind of mind-blowing. Like, it kind of makes sense why the angels were like, he's holy, 
Let me think of another way to say it. Oh, he's holy. Mm, he's holy, you know? Like, I think there's, like, that's, like, literally the one word. There's all kinds of other descriptions, but that's the one. That's the summary word. And so, I was, I kind of, like, made a, went through, like, a list. Um, let me tell you some of the, some of the attributes and, and how holiness fits into it. And, and why, why it's important for us, why this is, like, a daily thing for us. Um, we will talk about God being, uh, independent. That idea that he, he's not created, but, but also that he doesn't, he doesn't need anything. You know, there are some who, who believe like, oh, well, you know, God, uh, he created, he created uh, Adam and Eve because he needed somebody to love. False. That's not why he created them. He's not needy. You know, he's not like, oh, who can I love? It's like, that's not how God is. And sometimes people say, God's just waiting on you. you know? He's waiting on you to witness to that person. He's waiting on you to build the kingdom. You know? God's not sitting there twiddling his, his thumbs, being like all panicky, like, oh my gosh, when are they going to do this? Because he's fine. He's not needy. But see, when we hear he's independent, like he's not dependent on anything else, for us... Being in the other six days of the week kind of category, we would handle that as just like basically pride and arrogance and self-reliance. Because we have been impacted by sin, and we are devoted to our own glory. But God being set apart, He can be independent in a pure and holy way. For Him, independence is about a relationship. It's about Him looking at us and saying, I don't need you, but I, I want you. I don't need you to do this. You know, I can do this on my own, but I want to include you. I want to involve you. I want to know you. I want to provide everything that you need. So God can be independent in a pure and, and, and a holy way that has not been impacted by sin. It puts him, it puts him in that other, other category. Um, we'll talk about God being omnipresent, that he's like everywhere all the time. For us, we can't really understand that uh, in a, like, like we are unholy in our understanding of that because for us, if we were omnipresent, like we would always know everything. You know? Like we would, we would know exactly what is happening all, everywhere all the time. We would never have to wonder things. You ever been like in a work situation, there's like a behind closed doors meeting and you're just like, oh, to be a fly on the wall, to know what's being said. God never wonders that. So for us, we would use that to gossip all the time. You know, we'd be like that person who just knows everything all the time because, you know, whatever. That's how we would use it. It would be for our own agenda so we could be the one and be like, well, let me tell you what they said. <laughs> but for God to be omnipresent, he hasn't been impacted by sin the way that we have. So he's separate and he's devoted to his own glory. And so for him, he's like, I'm going to use my omnipresence to sustain everything. I'm going to hold the universe together by being everywhere all the time. I'm going to use that for provision and for protection for all that I have created. See, his separation and devotion, it impacts every, everything for us. Uh, we'll talk about his, uh, his omnipotence, that he's completely powerful and sovereign over everything, that he can do literally anything that he wants to do. 
So for us who have been impacted by sin, we would just use that for our own power all the time. That's all we would do. Everything would be about us. But God, not being impacted by sin, Him being holy and Him being devoted to His glory, He's making everything all about Him, yes. He's, he's working everything together for the good of those who love Him. But it's not like we would. It's not about pride and arrogance. It's, it's about Him saying, I, I want my creation to understand who I am and who I've made them to be. I want that relationship. I don't need that relationship. I want that relationship. And so I'm going to use my power to work all things together. Even if, even if you can't see it now, you'll see it one day. And it'll all make sense. See, he's separate. He's devoted. We'll talk about God being love. For us, we're impacted by sin, and so there's that kind of conditional Love that's there. Love can be a, a weapon for one another. We can use it for manipulation and um, all these kind of weird things. But for God, He hasn't been impacted the way that we have. And so He has that agape love that, w- that wills the good of another, that acts for someone else's good, that isn't conditional on behavior or performance. We'll talk about justice. For us, justice is about payback. For God, justice is about setting things right side up. God says, take care of widows and orphans. Because he hasn't been impacted by sin the way that we have. We'll talk about God's omniscience, the fact that he knows everything. Like he just literally has all knowledge. If we knew everything, if we had all knowledge, we would like kind of... Kind of back to the future, too, I think. You know, we'd be making like sports bets and riding the stock market and stuff like that because we would know everything that was coming and then we could get really, really rich and then, like, whatever. That would be our way if we knew everything that was going on. But what does God do? He's not impacted by sin the way that we are. So He's able, he's able to know everything that's going on and use it to care for you, use it to guide you, use it to shepherd you. Because that brings glory to him when his children are cared for and loved well. So God's holiness, completely other than anything else. And what he's doing as we walk with him and as we grow and as we mature and as we, um, as we are discipled in his ways, he's helping us to learn to think like him and act like him. He's helping us to to be free from the way that sin has impacted our minds and our our emotions and all those kinds of things. And he's helping us learn to live as he lives. So when he says, you be holy because I'm holy, say, hey, I've freed you from that. Now let me teach you how to live in a way that's separate from sin. In a way that everything about you is devoted to the glory of God. Said, hey, let me make you like me. Let me make you like me. So the one who is separate from everything else looks at you and says, Come on. Let me shepherd you. Let me guide you. Let me let me caution you against some things. Let me help you avoid pain. Let me help you walk in who you really are. Let me 
provide freedom for you. Let me provide healing for you. Let me get you through the darkest things that life has to bring. Let me be everything to you that you need me to be. And so why would we ever, why would we ever refuse the separate, devoted one? Why would we ever refuse his love and his care and his provision for us? Why would we ever look him in the face and say, I know better than you? Why would the six days ever look at the Sabbath and say, we're better than you? We know. The scriptures talk about a a clay pot, you know, kind of telling the potter what to do. And it's silly when you read it. You're like, oh, why would a a clay pot ever ever talk back to the potter? And you're like, oh, wait, that's, uh, uh, that's kind of what I do sometimes. So understanding his holiness and how it, it permeates every, everything about his being, it, it, it impacts every day for us. It's not just a, something interesting that we learn about at church, or it's not just a, a thing that goes in a theology book on the shelf. It's, it's life to us. It's life to us. And this is the God who looks at us and makes a seat for us at his table, and says, come here, daughter, come here, son. Let's, let's talk about your day. Let's talk about what's going on. Ask me what I think about that. Ask me what you should do. Tell me what's, what's hurting you right now. Tell me what's awesome in your life right now. This is the God that we worship and serve. It's amazing. Him being separate and holy, he really should want nothing to do with us. Like, like in our understanding of things, you're like, well, how, why in the world would you be mindful of me? But he is. And that is worth celebrating, and that is worth the devotion of our lives, and that is worth us saying, I want to be separate from all that stuff, and I want to be devoted to your glory. I want to be all that you created me to be. And he's on board already. He's like, yeah, okay, cool. So this is, this is where he's taking us. This is who he's making us into. This is what following Christ looks like. It's where it's headed. And that should thrill us deeply. And I hope that it does. And we're going to sing a little bit, just in case it does thrill you. We're going to respond a little bit through song. And uh, this is the God that we respond to. So let me ask you if you would just stand... Um, and the band's going to come and lead us a little bit, but I want to—I just want to read a passage from the Book of Revelation. You don't need to turn to it, but just to kind of segue us into a time of response. So, if you would just just close your eyes and. Just, just hear the word. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Once I was in the Spirit, behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there uh, had the appearance of jasper and 
carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven, seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And, and before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, four living creatures, uh, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second like an ox, the third with the face of a man, and the fourth uh, like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who's seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who's seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or or even look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the Twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth." And then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever.